0: Looking at the chaos all around us, it can be hard to see God's grand design. Some pieces are easy and familiar, but some don't seem to fit, and a few pieces appear to be missing altogether. So is life just random? Is God really in control? Does he see something that we don't? time and patience and trust in the designer of life itself, we'll see that God has all the pieces carefully laid out. And there will be a day when everything will come into focus and we'll see the wisdom, the perfection, and the beauty of all that God planned. Hello, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King Church. I want to welcome you. If you are online, we are so glad that you're here. And if you are here in person, we are expectant for what God is going to do today. So back in high school, I was a swimmer, and our team would travel all around the state of Alaska competing in different meets. And one year, I got to go to state, which isn't as impressive as it sounds because there's like 17 uh, people who live in the state. And so... Most of them got to, to go to state, But anyway, uh, our coach had a friend, and he called in a favor. And we got to actually uh, connect with an Olympic trainer. So an Olympic trainer, like a person who trains Olympians. And he agreed to come and volunteer to stretch me and a couple of my buddies before our big meet. And so we were excited. We said, yes, this is incredible. How often do you get a chance to work with an Olympic Trainer. So my friend and I met with a trainer at 5 a.m. because apparently that's when they do business. And I was all excited and I got there and we started stretching and friends, it took me about 30 seconds of working out with this guy to realize that his definition of stretching was radically and offensively different than mine. You know, silly me. To me, stretching was a way to get your muscles ready for a meet. It was more casual than anything else. But apparently to him, stretching was a form of violence (laughs) that he used to punish people. And I remember about 10 minutes into this stretching session, looking up at this dude and just trying to figure out what have I done to deserve such treatment. I was thinking through a list of what it could be. I'm like, did I unknowingly date this dude's daughter and not call her back? Is that what this is about? Like, does he think I work for the IRS? Like, what is going on here? What is the source of this man's anger? And to this day, I can honestly say it's the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life, and I've broken bones, fallen out of trees, and had my fingers shut in the car door. Like, it was that bad. My leg was in positions that only Cirque des Soleil type people should have their legs in positions. It was horrible. And I remember walking away with it, or, or from this experience, with kind of one dominant thought in my brain. And it was that I, that was not what I thought I was signing up for. That was not what I thought I was signing up for. Maybe you've been there before. I'm actually calling today's message, Not What I Thought, because oftentimes in life there's a gap between what we think something's going to look like and what it actually does. Maybe you've been there. Does anyone remember back when you were a kid and you thought that being a grown-up was going to be the best thing in the world because nobody would tell you what to do and you could stay up as late as you wanted and you would always know what to do? Anybody in here? But then you grow up, and you spend all your time as a grown-up thinking about how awesome it was when you were a kid, and you realize that there's actually more rules now than there ever were back then. Staying up late isn't the gift that you once thought, and as it turns out, you still have no idea what you're doing, and now only, uh, the only difference is that all the decisions that you make have much more impact to them. It's not really what I thought it was going to be? Or how about marriage? Anybody married in here who remembers back to when you were single and you were so excited for God to give you a spouse because you knew that spouses were sent into your life to make your lives easier. (laughs) But then you get married and you realize that marriage isn't God's design to make your life easier. In fact, it's by definition something that makes your life infinitely more complicated and challenging, but it's actually through the challenge and complexity that God's able to shape you into who you're called to be. So it's good, God's plan is good, it's better than my plan, and yet it's not what I thought. And right now we're in the middle of a series called God Plan where we're looking at the intricacy and beauty of God's plan and we've been learning that God's plan has been unfolding since the beginning of time and it's far more detailed and wonderful than you could ever imagine, but this week I actually want to speak to the gap between our expectations of God's plan and the reality of God's plan. Because if you've been following Jesus more than 17 minutes, you know that God's plan is often not what you thought His timeline is often not what you thought Because God is actually interested in your character and we're interested in our convenience. It's not what I thought But before we dive into it, I just want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit Lord today, I am thankful that you are God and that we are not God, I'm thankful that your plan is not our plan. God, that it's better, that it's bigger, that it's more beautiful. God, that it's more challenging. God, it's more all encompassing. It's more detailed than we could ever imagine. So, Jesus, would you help us in the space in between our small expectations and your beautiful reality that you're inviting us into? God, would you help us to see the invitation of your plan today? God, that it's far more compelling than anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. God, just give us a glimpse. God, thank you for this season where we get to remember that you loved us so much that you didn't stay up in heaven. You literally came down to make a way to be with us. God, would that rest in our hearts, would that draw us towards you? Would it give us bravery and boldness as we move? Not just towards you, but God, towards the world with the news that there is a Savior King and He is good, and this season is about Him. So, God, we put you in the middle. We love you. Thank you for the story that you're telling. God, help us to see it a little more clearly today. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. Why don't you look at your favorite neighbor and tell him, It's not what I thought. It's not what I thought. Following Jesus is not what I thought. I thought it would make my life easier, and it seems like it's harder. Being a Mariners fan is not what I thought. I'm not even going to say the Seahawks. Paying five bucks for gas is not what I thought I'd be doing in 2023, and yet here we are. It's not what I... Thought. I thought life would get easier, but it seems like it's getting harder. And now I'm left asking the question, what do I do in the gap? What do I do in the gap between expectations and reality? And in the Christmas story, there is a gap. And there's actually multiple. And the first one that I want to speak to is the time gap, because in Isaiah, you've got the promise of Christmas. This is Isaiah 7, uh, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And this is the good news that we have a God who's not distant. He is a God who came to be with us, not just on the good days, but the bad days. He is God with uh, so we read Isaiah 7:14, and we think this is the good news. We read this, and we're like, yes, Christmas is coming. The manger king, the eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus is on his way. And we say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And he is good. I would never argue that point. But the problem is that after the promise was spoken in Isaiah, it was immediately followed by 400 years of silence. So the people of God were given a promise, but they were never given an ETA, which means that they spent the next 400 years waiting for the fulfillment of that promise, which begs the question, what do we do when God says wait? What do we do when God says wait? What do we do when there's distance in between a promise that's given and a promise that's fulfilled? What do we do when we even know that help is on the way, but it's not getting here as quick as we thought? I've got three simple ideas. The first one is not all that profound, but it's true. The first idea is we pray. We pray. If we're in a season of waiting, we pray. I need you to know that just because you're having a hard time hearing God in this season doesn't mean that he's having a hard time hearing you. Your God hears every word that you utter. Your God has your full attention. He is literally listening to every single word that we utter. So I don't know what you are waiting for this Christmas season. Maybe you're waiting for a breakthrough. Maybe you're waiting for a medical miracle. Maybe you're waiting for a family miracle or financial miracle. Maybe you're waiting for healing. Maybe you're waiting for a baby. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship to start or a relationship to be restored. Maybe you're waiting for direction. But whatever it is that you're waiting for, here's what you need to know about God. You can always call out to him day and night and say, oh God, oh God, I I need you now and he is going to listen and that just by itself is just stunning he is going to listen to your every word he says make your requests known before the Lord keep asking keep seeking keep knocking because the king of kings is listening Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 say when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this is good news. This is New Testament news. This is Galatians. This is Paul speaking into the fulfillment of the promise, which is why we pray. We pray because our God always comes through when the fullness of time has come. And even when we're in seasons of waiting, we know that God always answers his promises. Amen? Amen. So first thing that we do is we pray. Second thing we do is we slow down. You know what's interesting about being told to wait is it actually naturally makes you want to move faster. So when somebody says, hey, wait right there, it actually does something in my spirit that makes me want to move even more than, it, than I wanted to move before. But here's the question. What if the season of waiting that you're in right now is actually an invitation to slow down? And his book The ruthless elimination of hurry. John Mark Comer talks about the spiritual practice of slowing, which literally means intentionally slowing down the pace of your life so that you can see and experience what God is up to. And he gives a couple examples in his book of what this can look like this slowing practice. And and they're a little bit off the wall like I love them, but like I'm just telling you on the front and they're a little bit crazy And so uh, here's something that you can do. He's saying I'm giving you a list Here's what you can do if you want to slow down your pace in such a way that you can actually see what God's up to So the first thing is this You can try driving the speed limit He said I know this is a revolutionary idea never before thought of in a book but what if you drove the speed limit? Like what if when the sign said 25 miles per hour, you actually drove 25 miles per hour? This just good stuff, right? Like what if you didn't go 30 or 33 or whatever you thought that you could get away with? He does put a note here. He says, not below the speed limit though. I'm being clear, not below. That's just annoying and we'll all hate you for it. But right on the money, what if 25 meant 25 and you just cruised along and just allowed it to be a moment with? God. And he gets even crazier. He says, what if you intentionally got in the slow lane? What if you hopped in the slow lane behind the grandma in the Oldsmobile? What if you hopped behind the Walmart uh, semi that was hauling contraband? What if you settle in? What if you feel the wheel? What if you actually are on that road? What if you used it as a chance to be present with God and pray? Like, what if you intentionally moved to the slow lane to actually allow something different to happen in your brain? Because your brain is saying, I need to get there faster, but God's actually inviting you, that there's something for you along the way, if you would just slow down. And I remember how crazy that sounded the first time I read it, but for the past couple years, every few weeks, when I am feeling like nothing's happening fast enough, I actually make a conscious decision to move over to the slow lane and spend some time behind someone who clearly has no place to be. And friends, it can be painful. I'll be honest, it is not my favorite practice. But if I stay in that lane long enough to slow down my heart, to slow down my mind, here's what happens. I start to remember that it's not about how fast you get there. It's about who you're becoming along the way that really matters to God. I remember that God's not hurried, and it creates a question in me, why am I so hurried? If the God of the universe who is overall and in all is not hurried, then, then why am I? Friends, what if instead of trying to speed God up for once, you allowed him to slow you down to the pace that he's trying to move in your life? Third idea, when God says wait, we remember that God is working in the waiting. Lamentations 3 verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I'll repeat that again. It is good that one should wait. I'll do it again. It is good that one should wait. It is good that one should wait quietly. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Because waiting time, friends, is never wasted time when it's given to God. I heard one pastor say it like this. We have microwave expectations, but we serve a crockpot God. So we want it done now, but God wants it done well. And there's a seasoning that only happens in our souls with time. There's no substitute. So the invitation to waiting is the invitation to notice the work of seasoning that God's doing in your souls along the way. Sometimes in the silence and in the waiting. So what do we do while we wait? We pray. We make our requests known before the Lord. We keep knocking on that door even if it's been seemingly quiet. And we actually slow down instead of believing the lie that I need to get there faster. I'm actually gonna believe the truth that the way that I wait is more important than how long I wait. And we remember that God's working. and are not waiting. He's seasoning something in our soul that's preparing us for what's next. Friends, waiting is always preparation for what God has next and when we look at the christmas story there's there's more gaps to it because even after all of these years jesus arrives and there's still a gap between what jesus is and what they expected him to be and so the question is what do we do when god's plan doesn't look the way that we thought it would and in luke 2 chapter or chapter 2 verse 7 it says that mary gave birth to her firstborn a son and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger Because there was no guest room available for them And I know this is probably a scripture that you've heard so much But I don't want you to allow the familiarity of this story Rob it of its drama Because we've got the king of kings And the lord of lords moving into the neighborhood And rather than having a coronation ceremony They put him out back in the barn Like, think about the nuance here. Rather than lying him in a bed of Egyptian cotton, they put him in a feeding trough for donkeys. And it's actually through this story that it proves that it's God's blessing, not just in the circumstance that we find, but that God is in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. And this week I was doing a lot of reading about resiliency and grit because I'm just trying to figure out what... Differentiates people what allows people to keep getting up even when their expectations might not be met And what I was trying to figure out is what are the variables or traits that make people resilient? Like what is it that allows certain people to keep moving forward even when they get knocked down and what's so Fascinating friends is that by far the single trait that gets mentioned more than any other is simple gratitude Church, are you thankful for what you've got? Or are you so consumed by the things that you feel like are missing in your life in this season? Because you can't focus on both. So when it comes to resiliency, when it comes to grit, when it comes to our ability to get back up, there's nothing more important than simple gratitude. Are you grateful? So what do we do when God's plan doesn't look the way that we thought it was going to look? Here's the first thing we do. You look for things to thank God for. You ask the question, what do I still have here? Even though it doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like, what is God giving me in this moment? And that might sound overly simplistic, but it's true. The Bible is just littered with all sorts of verses that actually point in this direction. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, it says, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So don't just bring your requests to God, bring them with thanksgiving, thanksgiving for what God's done and for what he's going to do, because we know that he's a faithful God. He's the same then and he's the same now. And in Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And what's so interesting in here is not just saying when you enter the gates of thanksgiving, there's actually an invitation that being thankful is the way to the gates of God. And what you might not know is that gratefulness in and of itself, this practice of gratitude, finding ways to actually find the beauty, even in the brokenness, it actually rewires your brain. If you do this, and you are just like actually uh, doing this every single day, it actually rewires your brain. And what science tells us is that when we practice gratefulness, it actually strengthens our mind. It actually makes us more creative and flexible and joyful. So gratitude doesn't just make you more likable. It actually makes you more smart. So if you want to be smart, be grateful. It's not just for the optimists. It's actually a muscle that you can work, and here's how we work it in the Barron's family every night before bed, but we always do our thankfuls, which is just a time where both of our girls and Kristen and myself, we just share one thing that we're thankful for that day. Some of the days for the girls, it's they're thankful for their friends or they're thankful for ice cream or they're thankful for dresses. Like, I don't really care what it is. It's more that we're getting that practice. We're looking into the day and we're saying, what did God give us today that's worth actually holding up and saying thank you for we practiced looking for the blessings in life. And just the other night, I was minding my own business and unprompted, my sweet girl, Brooklyn, she's five years old, came up with her sweet little hands and she held my face and she said, Dad, I am so thankful for you. I looked back at her and I said, Sweetheart, I am so thankful for you too. And I'll be honest, I about died and went to heaven right there bless my heart on a level I didn't know I need blessing but it wasn't just because she was thankful for me it was because I could see that there was this seed of gratefulness that's taking root in the soil of her heart I can see that this practice that we've done of looking for something thankful is becoming just an outflow of who she is. And that's important to me as a parent because I want my girls to be grateful, not because life is easy, but because life is hard. I want them to have the capacity to see beauty and brokenness, not because... There's seasons where the blessings are easy to see but because I know in their life there will be seasons where it's challenging. That's why we actually have to work this muscle all the way through so that when the time comes instead of looking out and just seeing despair we can see that there's beauty underneath every single opportunity. So here's my question, church. Are you thankful for what God's done in your life? Dorothy Sayers has this incredible quote. She says, Incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. And yet he had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he cannot exact from himself. And yet he chose to go through all the human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and no money and the worst horrors of pain and humiliation. And yet he thought it was all well worthwhile. And so if you're looking for something to be thankful for this Christmas season, know that he took on all of our brokenness. And at the end of the story, he said, it is all well worthwhile because of his love for you. The last question I want to look at is this. What do you do when God's plan is full of broken people? You know, it never ceases to amaze me, the laundry list of people that God chooses to include in his story in uh, Luke Chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And yeah, I've always loved the character of Mary in the Christmas story. She's remarkable. You know, there's just something about her, you know, and right now I want you to look at your neighbor and, and, and say there's, there's just something about Mary. There's something about her. There's something about Mary. There's a reason why God chose her. And I've heard a lot of sermons about the reasons why God chose Mary. I heard that God chose Mary because of her pure heart. She was the type of canvas that God could use. So that means that we've got to purify our hearts so that God can have more space to move in us. And that's good. I say yes to pure hearts. Let's be that kind of church. Let's do the work. I heard that God chose Mary because of her remarkable faith that even when God chose to use her in a way that was inconvenient and scandalous, and it was, she remained faithful and treasured these things up in her heart. So even when following Jesus becomes challenging for you and for me, we need to be like Mary and have faith that God will come through. And and, and to that I say yes and amen. Let's do that. Let's treasure these things in our hearts. Let's lean into the hard moments like Mary did. There's something about this Mary. But here's the problem. When we spend all this time looking for reasons to qualify Mary, oftentimes what we're doing subconsciously is finding a list of reasons to disqualify ourselves. And at best, in these messages, we leave with a resolved spirit saying, well, maybe someday if I could just be like Mary, then God could use someone like me. And this is problematic because the good news of the gospel isn't that someday, if you're able to change yourself, God will love you a little more and use you. It's that however broken you are right here as you sit, whatever your story is right now, not what you wish it was, but what it is, God loves you perfectly and he wants to use you today. This is the good news of the gospel. So I'm all in on Mary. She's remarkable. But I would argue that the single most remarkable thing about Mary isn't her purity or her humility or her joy. It's the simple fact that she was chosen by God. And I'm all in on Joseph. I think he's remarkable. But I think the single most remarkable thing about Joseph isn't that he was kind or hardworking or determined. It's that he was chosen by God. I think the single most remarkable thing about the shepherds is that they were chosen by God. And the good news today is that the same God who used Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the fishermen and the tax collectors wants to use you this Christmas. The good news is that you have a part to play. You are an essential piece of the puzzle that God is putting together. And so if you're hearing this and you're trying to figure out what do I do with this, here's my encouragement. Be like Mary and say yes. Even knowing that it's probably going to take longer than you think it's going to. Even knowing that it's probably not going to look the way that you thought it was going to look and there's going to be disappointment along the way. Even though the road is going to be chock full of broken people just like you and just like me. But I'm here today to tell you that if you say yes, if you're faithful in the waiting, if you actually look for an opportunity to slow down and see what God is up to, I can promise you that God has something he wants to do through you that's unique and beautiful and essential to the story that he's telling. The question simply is, do you trust him enough to say yes? Will you say yes? There's a quote from Biddy Chambers, who's Oswald Chambers' wife, in it. It says, I feel as if it will be overwhelming to one day see what God has wrought. And one will only be sorry not to have trusted more utterly. So just go on praying and believing, and we will surely find that God is doing wondrous things all of the time. I just love that. We will only be sorry not to have trusted him more utterly. I know that's my fear. Lord, I want to trust you. I don't want to get to the end and actually see that there's this gap and see that I left something on the table. I want to trust you more utterly today. I'll close with this. Growing up, I loved... Christmas. Christmas was like a big deal in uh, our home and every December we would decorate our home and it was one of my favorite times of the year. We never had a big home but we always had tall ceilings so every year we go out and we find like a 12 or 13 or 14. One year we had a 15 foot tree and I remember pulling that sucker through the door and like when we came in like the branches just attacked our kitchen and everything broke. It felt like and I remember one year we had to decorate the tree on the side because uh, we couldn't actually get to it when it was like, in its upright position. It was too tall for our ladder. And I remember each year my mom and, uh, made my sister and I uh, make paper snowflakes. And no matter how disfigured or ugly they looked, we would always hang them up around the house. And looking back, I loved that because it made me feel like I could look around and I was actually a part of Christmas. We put up all the ornaments on the tree because each of them represented a story. They were all from a moment where we said, this is important, we wanna put it on our tree. And now that I'm older, I've found that I'm clinging to some of these old traditions. And this year I'm saying, I know they're not perfect, but I want my kids to be the one who make the paper snowflakes that we hang up around the house. And I know it might not look like Pinterest, but I want all the ornaments up on the tree, even the ugly ones, because each of them represents a story. And when we get done decorating, I don't just want it to look pretty. I want my girls to be able to look around and feel like they are a part of this story because they are. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has actually written them into the story through his great love. And so this year, as we were thinking about Christmas at CTK and what we wanted to create, we decided we want to enlist your help. We want this to be a family affair and we're doing that a couple different ways. The first way is that last month I talked to Pastor Dwayne, our our children's pastor, and uh, I got to see if uh, the kids of CTK might be able to bless us with some custom-made snowflakes to hang up in the commons to make this building feel more like a home. And my hope by hanging these up is to actually remind you that the gifts that we're bringing to God this Christmas are imperfect at best, but that's what makes them beautiful. It's not the how we make them that make them special to God. It's that they come from us. And it's actually in the imperfection that we find the beauty of Christmas. And so as you leave, be sure to take note because the kids of CTK have created some masterpieces for you. And the second way that we're inviting you in is we actually want to have all of you help us decorate our family tree. So here's your assignment this next week. Will you and your family actually go and get an ornament. It can either be something you buy or something you bring from your uh, collection. I do want to be clear, though, as much as I would love to say we'll get each one back to you, I can't say that with full confidence. And so if there's an heirloom, sixth generation, let's leave that at home and let's bring something else that's meaningful that will be a representation of you. Because we actually want you to be represented on the family tree because you are. Because Christmas isn't a story we read. It's a story you're a part of that's still unfolding. And so this year, next week, would you literally spend some time, bring an ornament, and we're gonna put it up on that tree so that we can see, even if there's some ugly ones, I don't care. I think that's beautiful because that is the picture of the family that we wanna celebrate this year, that God is moving through each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So next week, I will see you with all of your ornaments. And uh, I'm going to pray for us in a second, and then uh, we're going to be actually singing a song. And before I pray, uh, I want to tell you that if you're new to the faith, if you are new to the Bible and all the Bible stories, this song actually has a bunch of Old Testament stories. And if you're unfamiliar with some or all of them, that's okay. Here's what you need to know. In every single one of the stories in this song, God is faithful. And it's God's faithfulness that we get to celebrate. And the good news of Christmas is that the same God who was faithful then is still faithful with whatever situation that you are facing. And even if you've been waiting a really long time for God to show up in the way that you can recognize, I need you to know that He is faithful. And even if what you actually got isn't what you thought you were going to get, I need to remind you that God is faithful. And even if there's broken people every step of the way, I need you to know that God is faithful. He is the same God of Jacob. He is the same God who is doing miracles in the Old Testament, and he's doing miracles here today. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing this song together. Holy Spirit, thank you that your plan is better than any plan that we could ever dream of. God, thank you that your plan is to take something imperfect and allow the brokenness of it to not be a barrier but to be an entry point so that God, so that you can be shown through us, God, that the cracks in our character are the things that your light shines through so that people can see that it's not us, it's you. You're the hope, you're the love, you are the grace, God, that's been poured out. So this year we celebrate your plan. We say, Lord, will you help us to span the gap and figure out what it looks like to lay down our expectations and say yes to the reality that you have in front of us? Would we wait while? Will we slow down? Will we stop putting undue expectations, God, on what it looks like? And will we just receive what it is that you have for us today? We love you, Lord. This is all for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? We are going to sing a song called Same God together.